Hello and welcome to the A-Form show. My name is Alan George and thank you very much for tuning in. Each week we sit across from thought leaders and change makers in the architecture and design space of the GCC. We dive deep into their experiences both professionally and personally and share their valuable insight as to what makes them tick. Our goal is to add value to your day and help you navigate your own personal creative journey. Finally, the opinions and the views of the guest speakers are that of their own. They do not necessarily represent the views and the opinions of the show or the host. Welcome to the show everyone. Today we have two lovely gentlemen joining us on the show, Mr. Bellarmino and Mr. Dimitrios from Umada. Umada is quite a cool little company that's recently started and I'm not going to give much away because I feel it's best if you hear who they are and what they do from the people themselves. So, without further ado, Belremino, welcome and Dimitrios, welcome. Thank you. What is Umada? Thank you very much for the invitation, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Umada is a multidisciplinary consultancy. We give service to acoustics consultancy services, facade consultancy services, sustainability, parametrics, uh, and the likes. Our vision is to reduce the impact of buildings in the natural environment through the application of technology in the building industry and to enhance architecture. So we strive for excellence and innovation in, in every project that we get involved with. Right. That sounds pretty cool. I think that's what most companies want to do also. <laughs> Dimitrios, so what exactly do you do at Humada? I'm the lead acoustical consultant for okay. Humada. I'm in charge of acoustics. I undertake the design. This can involve building acoustics or it can involve environmental acoustics or other aspects. We tend to collaborate and coordinate with Bellarmino because in a number of projects specifically for buildings, it is not only acoustics that is needed. We might have a joint design discipline. Um, by this, I mean facades, facade access or sustainability. So we need to somehow articulate all the design disciplines so as the output that we will give to the client is adequate and there is compliance as well with the national and local legislation. And obviously, the end product is desirable and to the standard that we need to have it. Right. Okay. So then obviously, I think Yamada as a firm, you guys do a lot of interdisciplinary interdisciplinary work. It's a very hard word to say. Because clearly, if you're doing things like acoustics and facades and things like that, there's obviously some kind of overlap that happens between all this work. So maybe, uh, Beltramino, if you can tell us, what is the advantage of interdisciplinary work under one firm? I mean, the very obvious advantages, but realistically, what's, what's the benefit? The benefits are multiple. I like to compare this with a famous bassist, uh, electric bassist player, Victor Wooten, where he compares playing alone or playing as part of a band or a group. So playing in a group is, doesn't equate to the addition of, of the different components. It's, it's much more what you can achieve, you know, the potential that you can achieve and the creativity that can be achieved is much better. Uh, in, in the context of uh, consultancies, many of the problems that buildings or projects face there of a multidisciplinary nature and as such it's impossible to fully resolve them by just looking at um, a small field of, of uh, or expertise they, they need to be approached you know globally a holistic approach is required so you know there are examples a typical ex example that i can think of 
is building energy optimization. In the past, we could observe that the architect might be developing a design and the MEP consultant independently would, would be doing the services design. And uh, by the time the results were coming back of the energy model, it was too late to, you know, the design had been fixed and it was impossible to, to do significant changes. So if you, if you're able to sit together at the same table, the MEP consultant, the architect, uh, the facade consultant, and, and the rest of the stakeholders and do some early iterations of the energy model, then you can get to resolve the main issues that, that you might be facing otherwise. So if you're looking at the facade and, um, you're not able to have a conversation with the sustainability consultant. You might be facing really strict. This is something that happens very often. You might be facing very, very demanding performance from, from a curtain wall thermally, but it might be that in the greater scheme of things, in the bigger picture, the, the actual thermal transmission to, through the facade is not uh, such a relevant component. Maybe it's a low rise building. Maybe the, the roof is more important and you could get a better result by increasing the thickness of the insulation on the roof. So things like that, they require some perspective. And this is, this is where you can have many, many specialists. And, that, and that's what's happening nowadays in, in, in the, in architecture is there are many separate specialists working on a project, but you actually need to be listening to what the other consultants are doing and uh, working together towards a common goal. Right. I maybe then want to ask, because I think anyone who has those services in-house will agree that, yes, of course, we need to be talking to each other, for sure. But from a business point of view, do you think that that then requires additional time and resource as well? Because, for example, people tend to ignore the fact that coordination also is a time factor in a project. Yes, while multiple disciplines can work together, at the end or even during, whatever coordination happens needs to be accounted for in terms of additional time, even allocation of funds and so on and so forth. Is that something which you agree with or do you think it should happen harmoniously as we all work? What you're mentioning is uh, a typical example of what happens whenever you are maybe putting together a proposal and you're giving a program. So uh, we can, we have control over all the deliverables, but what we don't have control is the deliverables of the others and how, how basically the human uh, relationships in a project. So it would start by the, you know, management of the client expectations. And for sure, there, there should always be some time uh, allocated for coordination, for discussion with the clients. Uh, it's very important to get the ideas endorsed by all the stakeholders. And that requires an iterative process, which requires time. Right. Okay. So that's interesting then, because that seems to be something which a lot of firms are now factoring in, which maybe they didn't before. I maybe then want to switch gears a little bit and talk about acoustics as well, because acoustics is something which I'm not sure if you face this, but whenever we have tried to introduce it into a project, clients have a very odd reaction to it. They're like, do we really need it? I mean, okay, if we're doing something like a museum or a cinema or something, we understand it's obviously very important. But even for something like a building or maybe even, you know, a retail kind of development, do we really need acoustics? I'm curious to know what your answer would be to that. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alan, for the valuable question. This is something that us um, acousticians have uh, actually faced many times. Uh, and I have faced um, a similar type of reaction or remarks since the beginning of uh, my career as an acoustician. Um, the reality is that it, a lot of times it's uh, a design discipline which is considered like a black box. Some um, quite well uh, known or quite uh, established professionals in, in the industry, they have a funny term, they even call it black magic. <laughs> they have uh, said this to me. But what it is, is that although we cannot see it and, and that's why a lot of stakeholders wouldn't put too much attention to it while uh, a design is ongoing. It's a very important factor in the design discipline of a building or even in the environmental aspects um, of a master planning, let's say. So obviously there are legislations out there for every type of building. And um, when I think specifically speaking uh, about this region and, and UAE and Dubai, I've been here Next year, it would be nine years in, in, in mid-January. I would say that the progress has been really a lot, you know, and, and immense from the beginning where we used to speak about acoustics and the reaction was what you described. Do we really need that? Um, will it add value? Why should we add an additional cost, let's say, to a building design? To the point that nowadays, after a lot of pushing and, and coordination and Sort of explanation of what can go wrong in a project acoustics are in the um, in the legislation uh, buildings need to comply the main influence is by british guidelines however we have got american standards as well and there are other guidelines which can be let's say australian or german etc so yes it is something which is very important for every type of building a usual without sort of over analyzing a lot my answer is that the usual understanding of something being wrong or lacking in comfort is when things are going wrong, basically. And this right. is when we understand that the end user, and it might be an inhabitant, it might be um, someone who is um, going to uh, to a hotel, you know, uh, or, or even uh, an attendee in a school, uh, a, a, a tutor, or, um, or it might be a student, does feel the bad effects of having a bad acoustic design. Right. You mentioned a little while earlier that, you know, there are these kind of typical things that, that go wrong. Could you maybe give us a few examples from your experience that you've seen here, which maybe some of our designers know of or have dealt with? Could you give us a few examples? Uh, certainly. One example can be when we have got a tower for the sake of the argument, it can be a residential tower, which is sitting fairly close to Sheikh Zagid Road. So um, if a proper study hasn't been done for us acousticians, this would mean either to use some existing data of where the plot is sitting or undertake what we say an environmental noise survey. So we establish the baseline, some pressure levels, and then we work basically on the basis of this and we project what will happen in the future. We use as well some additional information from other stakeholders and we closely liaise with uh, the facade consultant, obviously, and we put together a specification that would relate to the sound insulation of the building envelope. A typical example is that although these things, the calculations, the report might be there, at the outset even of a project, what we tend to find is that the acoustics as an aspect is not considered that highly, and we end up having a tower which is 40, 50 levels high, and the facade is actually underperforming in terms of acoustics. 
causing a number of problems in terms of the comfort of the sleeping patterns and annoyance, especially for the bedrooms, but even for the living rooms. And it's, it's a typical example, for instance, that Bellarmino has experienced and, and seen as well. And obviously, FSR being such a complex and, and big issue in a building, it's difficult to go and retrofit or change this thing. I mean, typical examples, and we've had discussions about this. A very clear example is placing external balconies facing a very busy road. Ideally, that, that, that's not great. It's not gonna, and we've been called to try and, and mitigate, but, um, you know, once you have a, an external space facing a road, there's not much you can do. Right. But if this had been addressed at the beginning of the project at concept design, you could have placed those terraces on the back of the building, you know, at a, at a different location. And perhaps you could have had a, a very large opening with great views, mm-hmm. uh, but yes. w- with a good acoustic insulation. So definitely the layouts of the, of the houses or even the layouts of, of urban the, planning, yes, you know, sectorizing correct. properly, considering the sources of noise and the, and the areas uh, which are supposed to be that are more sensitive to noise, like bedrooms. Or it can be a yard. Let's say if it's a villa, where is, where the, the garden or the yard is facing to. It's another aspect that we need to take care of. For instance, Bellarmino being a family man, he, he is living in a villa. It's important to see where the yard is located. What is it facing? Do we need a barrier between the receiver, the receiver being the actual garden and the source, the source being in our case, a highway, for instance. So, yeah. In terms of acoustics and, and facades, typical thing is the selection of the balcony doors, for instance. Correct, they they need to be, they need to be a proper pressure block, block you know, there, yes. there needs to be good acoustic performance. Even closing mechanisms. Um, we tend to collaborate a lot with Fasar consultants and we have done it in the past with Bellarmino. We tend to pay attention to the details, like right. the Mullion details, the junctions, the slabbage. Yeah. Okay. The transoms, etc. The so, glazing buildup. The glazing buildup, of course. Yes. Gla- it's gla- a given. Yes. Glazing right. ha- is designed to many multiple factors, and, but acoustic is one of them. You know, yeah. and when the noise levels externally are very high, you might need to to use acoustic interlayers uh, for laminated glass. But of course, this is this normally is more costly. Right. But right. Uh, it's important to know what are the external noise levels, what are the internal noise targets. Right. Uh, depending on on the nature of the space and selecting the appropriate placing buildup. Right. So then maybe following on the same um, same sort of case study for the argument, if say there are designers listening in who are working on a tower on Sheikh Zayed Road, for example, or similar. From your experience, what are the kind of key things that they should look out for? I know that you've already spoken about, uh, you know, balcony doors and so on. But just from your experience, what are these kind of, you know, typical things that you see not being done correctly and can improve on in facades and acoustics or Mm -hmm. in general even? Facade consultancy has so many Mm. parameters to to look after. It's it's not so apparent, but you could think of the structure of the of the element, the the allowance for accommodation of movement, thermal performance, solar performance. Right. Maintenance, cost, so many. And actually, it is the job of the facade consultant to kind of have a checklist and make sure that every aspect is checked. So there's, there's always a chance that if there's no, no facade consultant on the job, 
you might be getting right some of them, but but not the not all of the parameters. Uh, right. So it's difficult. Uh, every project is different, and uh, many different aspects are overlooked for sure. Right. I think I think maybe one that we can focus on for for the listeners is um, I think you touched upon it, Demetrius, very briefly, which was about sleep cycles being able to. I know it sounds so so. Uh, so obvious, but being able to have a good night's sleep in your bedroom, for example, and how, you know, your facades and your acoustics actually can affect that. And it's not necessarily because people always in that example, people think that, oh, there must be a construction site next to me and there's this blaring noise all the time. That isn't necessarily the case because you can stay, you know, in a community not too far from where we are right now and constantly have lights blaring at you and have events going on, you know, all around you and so on. So... I guess my question is that if you're in a community of that nature, wherein you have fluctuating noise levels throughout the entire year, it's not fixed. You're not particularly on a highway wherein it's controllable and you can tell by time what's going to happen when. But if you're constantly in this kind of you know event space, for example, almost, in terms of your facades, what can you actually do about that? Can you reach a point where it's completely sealed off and everything is good? Is that attainable? In terms of performance, yes. For preserving the quality of the sleep. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some, some, some things that you can do, but basically the main tools, what you can do with the facade is limited. There are other aspects where you can have much bigger impact, which come at an urban planning level. Okay. So the main strategies, I mean, cities, anyway, they are places that can be unhealthy because of the noise, as you were mentioning, the sources of uh, lights. And also the working patterns, very chaotic. And uh, what can be done at an urban planning level is sectorizing the cities, moving away the areas of rest from the noise generation generators. Uh, what can also be done is uh, restrictions on traffic, because traffic is one of the most annoying sources of noise. And from um, an architectural point of view is sectorizing or the layouts of the flats, say, you know, moving away the bedrooms, which have the highest requirements, moving them away from the sources of noise or say the noisiest street. Right. And when, by the time you come to facades, the, the kind of the impact is more limited, but right. there's also, you know, you need to typically the interface between facades and acoustic is designing the insulation uh, of the two external uh, noise uh, and also the flanking between adjacent rooms right so that's where we make the our uh, coordination yes and if i may as as bellarmino referenced mm -hmm. all these uh, bullet points if i may call them one thing which a lot of times can be ignored or, or it's actually on the side here because of the dynamic though, aspect of, of the city and how it has grown. And it's the fact that there can be buildings that in other legislation, let's say somewhere else in, in the West, they wouldn't be necessarily put in the specific location because there are some guidelines in acoustics which relate to the urban planning and the, um, the, the actual the, the, the license that the building will have in order to start the works. Um, so when it is exposed a lot to noise sources, there are different categories. So if we were to go with the worst type of category, sometimes they wouldn't even think of putting the building there on the first place. So that's an important parameter that we think to think we have to think about it. In other words, to give you an analogy, if 
the guideline that this guideline that I'm saying uh, that, that they tend to use a lot in the UK uh, states that in the next amount of uh, kilometers, this tower shouldn't be built close to an aviation zone, to, to, to an airport, you wouldn't place it. But obviously we know that we need to have hotels, etc., near there. So the next thing is to follow all the other bullet points that, that Bellarmino has, has mentioned, and then go ahead with a really strict design in terms of sound insulation for the building envelope. Because we are starting, so to say, with a disadvantage, which is placing a building somewhere where the effect from all the activity will have a great impact on its inhabitants. Right. Um, okay. So it seems like your process would require being involved, obviously, throughout an entire project life cycle. But I think it's even more critical even before a project starts, maybe even at a pre-concept level, I would think. Yes. So because of that, could you maybe then walk us through what your general workflow is, what your involvement is in a project, for example, throughout its life cycle? What you're mentioning is very interesting and is actually the reason why the specialist consultancy service exists. You know, the first, the first reason is because of the emerging technologies that are becoming available. You know, the architect is not able to go into depth into every single aspect of a building. But the second one is risk management. And that's the reason why a client would hire a facade consultant or an acoustic consultant. Uh, it's much more valuable, the right piece of advice at an early stage than having to deal with the consequences. And uh, this saves a lot of money to clients. You know, once, once you, you've built something, the later down the construction sequence that uh, you encounter a problem, the more costly it is to repair it. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the main reason. So for us, ideally, where we like to get involved is at the early stages where we can actually influence the design and bring our knowledge to get a better project as a team with the rest of the stakeholders. And that's how that's, we come back to the original point of our um, chat, which is what's the importance of interdisciplinary and interdisciplinary approach to design. Right. And uh, yes, sorry. So if I may add uh, to what Veramino uh, said, and it's something that you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's highly important as well. Not that we, as a, a multidisciplinary consultants, are involved in the project at the beginning. It's very important, which doesn't tend to happen often in projects because of the tight design timelines, that all the stakeholders sit down and, and, and coordinate. It has occurred to me many times that a report for a specific discipline is done really well, it's comprehensive, the calculations are correct, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, everyone is moving in parallel. In other words, all of this important and useful work that is out there is not combined. So we reach to the point where the execution is happening of a building. However, each of the design disciplines never had the time to coordinate. The calculations and the approach is totally correct. <laughs> However, how can this be combined or yes. can this be combined actually? Because there is a tailored solutions to be done, but how can we do that? So it's an important factor actually that we always need to consider. True, true, true. It's, it's almost like it's perfectly imperfect in the sense that all the disciplines are perfect, but cohesively it doesn't work. Interesting. I kind of then want to think about from a, from a client point of view, when you when you go and pitch your services, for example, saying that, listen, Mr. Client, you know, from our experience, it's best if we get involved, you know, at this stage and then maybe 
stop and then again start up at this stage for uh, for example what's the kind of feedback that you're getting from clients in general now are they kind of on board with your proposals being that you want to be involved early or are they kind of still saying we want to follow the rigid kind of you're involved here not involved there that kind of thing it's very difficult to generalize because every single client is different and um we like to be engaged by clients that that understand the approach of interdisciplinary design at an early stage right fair enough <laughs> <laughs> i think we would all want clients like that <laughs> Okay, it is always a challenge uh, following up on what Bellarmino responded for every type of consultant every design discipline to fit in at the mid design process of a project or at the very end and try to coordinate and, and basically incorporate all the details that are out there. Right. And there is always the risk is is is, is more obviously in, in right. such a procedure. So, yes. Interesting. Okay. True. I think we've spoken a lot about, you know, new projects, obviously, which, uh, quote unquote, are technically easier to work with in a sense. But Dubai has now reached that point where, uh, you know, clients and even the government, for example, are starting to think about refurbishments because we are only now starting to have buildings which are, you know, 30, 40 years old and so on. In terms of facades and acoustics, we can start with facades first. What do you think? can be done about refurbishing facades here. I'm not talking about, you know, things like if people know the reference, for example, the Trade Center, in my opinion, the original Trade Center is one of the best facades that I've seen here because it's not glass, it's shaded, heat gain is quite minimal, but we do have, quote unquote, the glass towers that are scattered all over the city, which are now say 20, 30 years old. Maybe, you know, glass technology has improved. Panels have become a lot more efficient. What can we do about refurbishing those kind of facades? Refurbishment um, of buildings is uh, a necessity. Um, so if we think of what will, will be the future building stock, say in 2030, even if we apply the new standards of sustainability, net zero uh, on all the new buildings. They, the new buildings will only represent maybe 20 or 30% of the buildings uh, in 2030. So it's very important to bring the existing buildings up to the new standards if we want to meet the climate emergency targets, right. for example. So we need to do it. And, um, in terms of, um, I'm sorry to jump in and pause you. So then would, would it be a fair statement to say that anyone designing anything now should design it with the intent that in 10, 15 years, it is going to be refurbished, that it has to happen. That's right. I think it's very important to consider flexibility in the design. So, and if we look at the, say from the energy perspective in the past, you know, like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, we were putting a lot of emphasis on the operational energy and um, of how much energy and how uh, our building consumes and how many carbon dioxide emissions it makes. The next stage was to look into the embodied carbon, which is um, possibly more relevant because it's, it's, um, uh, the emissions will happen before, uh, you know, the emissions happen during the extraction of the materials, the assembly and the transport. 
So they, uh, by 2030, around 74% of the new buildings emissions will be due to embodied uh, carbon. carbon rather than operational carbon. But now the, the new dimension that we need to think about is uh, looking at it from a full life cycle point of view. How is what's going to happen after the building is used? Because all the embodied energy and carbon that goes in the materials, you should try to reuse them. You know, so so you need to be thinking of how that building is going to be maintained and how it's going to be. How can it be refurbished? Which which parts? And there's a very good book uh, which is called How Buildings Learn. And in this book, there's a, a very nice diagram that uh, classifies the um, materials and the systems of a building according to their life expectancy. So, for instance, the foundations are the is the part of the building that, in theory, is built forever. You would not consider changing it. Then the structure typically is designed maybe perhaps for 100 years. The facades come next. Maybe they have a lifespan of around 60 years. And then the, the services, building services, typically they need to be changed every 20, 30 years. Interior design, perhaps every 15 years. And finally, the objects. So it's good to think of how each of the components with a shorter lifespan, how they can be changed and designed with this in mind. Right. I've never really thought of buildings that way. <laughs> it's almost like a family, you know, like a grandfather and then a father and a son <laughs> and so on. Look, the, I think it's the Basal and Lakaton, the Pritzker winners. It's very good that they were given this, this um, award because they mainly focus on, on refurbishing existing buildings, buildings that were built you know, during the boom of con construction, maybe in the 1950s which are really don't look very, very good. But in their mind, you should never demolish a building. You know, you need to, you need to make good use of what you have mm -hmm. and improve it. And as I was driving here, analogy came to my mind, which is related to my kids too. When, when they have birthdays, kids have birthdays, they receive so many presents. And the present that uh, really makes me very nervous always is kind of plastic yeah. uh, remote yes. control cars. Because the plastic remote control cars, they almost only last uh, as much as the batteries last or a, a wheel will fall off. And once, once that it breaks, they're just thrown to the rubbish. And, and then there's this mentality of buying a new one. But uh, that's, that's not um, the kind of uh, mindset that we should have. Especially, and the same applies to buildings. We should be designing buildings for a very long lifespan. And also, if they are um, perhaps either you make them for an extremely long lifespan or you, you design them to be dismantled. Right. Interesting. Okay. But then I'm not sure if we answered the question yet, but then what do we do with these existing buildings that we have? Again, I mean, the, the only reference that I can give is um, a typical kind of glass tower because that's kind of what you have in the region here which were maybe built, you know, during a time when let's just say that there were reasons for them to be built and they got built. And now it's 20 years later. What do we do with these? These don't work very well. Is there anything that we can do to improve them? Definitely. Uh, I would say the structure of the, of the building typically should remain. Right. Because there's nothing, let that there's nothing terribly wrong with it normally. 
And then, so therefore we're looking at refurbishing the facades, stripping, stripping off the old facades and, and installing new facades. Right. And, but is there, uh, I mean, I guess my question is trying to understand the balance. Is there, from your experience again, is it better to strip a facade down or is it better to kind of keep the existing facade and then maybe add on maybe a skin or something like that? which in your opinion is better it will depend on a case by case so i would say in mo- most cases there, there's um apart from sustainability and improving the thermal performance of a facade there's the there's another driver in this region which is safety and many of of the buildings that were built before 2012 they had uh, some combustible materials within the facades and now they need to be slowly but surely they need to be replaced. In general terms, I'd say for in Dubai, mo- most of the refurbishment would consist of stripping the facade, the, the completely the facades. Now, if the facade is a rain screen and there's some block work behind, probably the block work does not need to be replaced. And would the same happen with acoustics? I would imagine. It's it's uh, this is an interesting question. The the retrofitting works or refurbishment works do have different gradings and some of them would be much easier to be done of course this can be a little bit of a a generalization but changing the room acoustics in other words interfering or um, producing a new set of calculations or a new set of solutions for the interior of a space tends to be usually um, usually um, i'm trying to describe something which is uh, general and, and, and big in, in, in size and picture tends to be a little bit easier than, say, replacing a fresher handling unit, which is sitting on, let's say, on the 30th or 40th level or even at, at a rooftop of, of, a, of a tower. And then obviously we need to silence it. And the ductboard is already actually, if I may call it, in the guts of the building. So basically traveling through risers, you've got the bends, etc. You have many meters of that work. So you need to see, you need to see the beginning of the issue, which for instance, it's the fresher handler, see what sort of unit is out there, the noise output that it will have. And then what you can do preferably at the beginning where it's the atmospheric part of uh, the unit and not so much on the inside of the building because the risers are going to be there. It's difficult to start touching the risers, there are structural issues, etc or how the duct will be traveling in the apartment again. So each one has its challenges. What I have noticed is that most of the time with, with the right personnel and, and if, if the client would like definitely go ahead and, and, and achieve what he needs to achieve, things can be done. Have had uh, in, in existing hotels, have had a conversion of a space which used to be not occupied or, or, or let's say it was just a coffee store turned to a club. And obviously the challenges were immense, both for the guest rooms, which are, which were above this space and below. However, most of the time we can make things happen. Uh, and it's interesting as well for the acoustic consultant point of view, what we can do in something which is already existing to the columns, how the vibration and the structure bone noise in, is transferring and how it can affect someone sometimes not necessarily directly above or directly below, but a few levels above. And then it's the interesting aspect, of course, for instance, with facades, how this sound can travel from the slab edge to, let's say, three levels above and someone cannot sleep because 
the base in, in the club or in the bar is, is too high at nighttime. Right. Interesting. A lot of food for thought. <laughs> It's very cool. As we sort of wind down the episode and we reach towards the end of it, I like to always keep it open-ended. This is kind of to get um, your insights as to what the future is of your industry. So be it acoustics, be it facade design, whatever it may be. I kind of then maybe want to start with you, Belramino. When it comes to facade designs here or in general, maybe in the world even, what's the future of this industry? What are people working towards? I know that Dubai is kind of maybe more towards the cutting edge of things, but what, what should designers kind of keep in their minds when they're thinking about facades and designs now? Looking at um, progress and what are the drivers for change in any industry, there's two, two driving forces generally. Uh, one is the needs that, the, say, humanity is facing. And uh, a different one that's also very important is the technology that is available because the technology is ever evolving. So I've been thinking about this question quite deeply over the last years. And regarding the needs, what I looked at was the, um, at the 17 goals developed by the UN Agenda for Sustainable Design. They were developed in 2015. And uh, these 17 goals are very broad. You know, they not only look at buildings, but they look at social uh, aspects, uh, financial dimension globally. But there are some, some goals that, uh, uh, where the building industry can contribute. And uh, they are revolving mainly about, uh, about uh, around the uh, sustainability. So the climate emergency that we're facing now how to cut down carbon emissions uh, as a matter of urgency. So this affects operational energy, embodied energy, and uh, you know, the full life cycle assessment that we were talking about before. But there's also other needs, and this is the, you know, the standards for health and comfort keep improving, the demands keep improving. We, uh, nowadays, we, we would not accept the standards you know, uh, 100 years ago. And, um, so there's, and there's real drivers, for instance, for example, fire safety, you know, so as an example, the use of timber in buildings is something that's very desirable from a sustainability point of view in terms of energy, also from a kind of mental health point of view. And, um, However, the, the, we're facing restrictions on what can be used, especially on high rise, because timber typically is com a combustible material. You know, so th these are strong drivers. In terms of technology, the building industry is really behind if we compare it to other sectors of what's possible. And, how, and there are so many technologies that could be utilized to modernize the industry. And there are many, many, but, uh, uh, revolving around materials and systems. So right. there are more materials that can be used now <laughs> that uh, were not available in the past. Uh, also construction processes. Yep. And, and finally, the um, digitalization. Okay. Um, I maybe then want to quickly get your uh, kind of 30-second uh, opinion on um, BIPV, Building Integrated Photovoltaics. Um, these are kind of clear glass panels, but they're also solar panels. And obviously as a designer, for me, I'm like, brilliant. Let's put it everywhere. Mm -hmm. My entire building is going to have entirely that. Realistically, of course, 
that can't be the case in most times. But uh, from you, I just want to understand, what do you think of this technology? Do you think for this region, do you think it's good, bad? I know it varies from building to building, case to case, but generally speaking, what's your opinion on it? Wow, in 30 seconds, it's going to be very difficult. But, <laughs> you can uh, take your time. You can take uh, your time. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely is something that um, I am passionate about. And I think it's, it's a very good thing. Um, the idea that uh, a building can not only serve to house some functions, and, but also can be a, an energy gen generator is very exciting. And um, I recently gave a, a talk uh, about about this, and I I was thinking if you know Le Corbusier, if he was alive nowadays, he would be very excited about this kind of technology. I was thinking when when he at his time he was really excited with uh, technologies and applying technologies to buildings, and he was pretty, very fascinated with large vessels. You know how when you're in a boat, they are so carefully engineered for efficiency uh, of space. Right. Uh, and as a, if you're an architect and you're having to design very small uh, spaces, then typically when you travel in a train or you travel in a, in, a, in a ship, you can see how they use space. So, and he kind of very much used this kind of reference when he was designing his unité d'habitation, right? Uh, in very compressed spaces. So the same with now, it's, it's, it should be very exciting for architects to be able to incorporate these technologies into buildings. So if your facade can be generating energy, why not? And um, looking at the path that uh, solar uh, photovoltaics have followed over the last years, it's very obvious that the efficiency has risen and the costs have, have come down. And um, in terms of architectural integration, the advancements are also mesmerizing. So in this talk that I gave, I, I, I was uh, encouraging architect, architects to learn more about what is really possible because in the minds of most architects, it's just a, you know, like an ugly polycrystalline or monocrystalline cell. But the reality is now they, they almost can look like any other material and uh, they, they can be integrated very smoothly within the intent. So. It's, I think it's, it's a worthwhile exercise to educate architects into that. And in terms, in terms of the industry, what, what I find is that there's a gap to be filled where the mainstream solar photovoltaic contractors really don't know very well how to integrate it in a building, while the mainstream uh, facade contractors don't know how to use the photovoltaics. And, and it needs a lot of integration with the electrical MEP. So, you know, there's a gap in there uh, that could be an interesting uh, place to, you know, to push interdisciplinary design. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, obviously the world of facades, definitely interesting. A lot of cool stuff happening for the future. If I can quickly pivot to Dimitrios, who's silently smiling, I feel like he also knows something. What's what's happening or going to happen with acoustics for this industry? Uh, connecting basically what Bellarmino has said and, and uh, the targets uh, by UN and for sustainability. 
uh, what is interesting and innovative in our industry is, um, and, and some suppliers and manufacturers are already doing it, is um, a lot of times using products that can be from recycled sources, such as recycled tire, uh, tires. So, for instance, we can use this type of product for an underlay, a floor underlay. This is something that helps the control the structure bone noise. Um, this is, uh, let's say, when an inhabitant is jumping up and down, for instance, or using plasterboard walls, which are forming drywall systems which have materials or part of the board has been recycled using materials that absorb sound, which have been sustainably sourced or produced. And by this means, we not only achieve the acoustic targets, but we manage to actually meet criteria such as BRIAM or LEED or WELL certifications. And obviously, there are other innovations which they're more difficult to implement due to the early stages of where they are, um, and, and this relates to cost. But there can be sort of uh, radical uh, solutions that relate to silencing the sound that is traveling through the ductwork, not with the typical um, silencers that we have. Just wrap insulation or something. Um, no, it's something which is. Um, we would say active way of silencing. Okay. So basically generating sound waves against the sound that is traveling from the fan. And because the two signals, to put it in layman terms, are meeting with each other, they're actually counter. Yeah, they're just canceling each, each other. other. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Whereas usually what we would use is what we say, like a, a passive system, which is a silencer. And this typically tends to have some slots and perforations. The metal is perforated and it's filled up with insulation. And this is how we would control the sound, which has its own disadvantages and advantages. So there are, there are ways around it. There are ways of meeting the sustainable design guidelines recently sort of setting the, the Glasgow summit and, and achieving a number of design targets that can be either BRIAM or WELL or, uh, and getting the appropriate certification. And obviously this relates as well to the lifespan of, of an acoustic product. So yes, there are things out there. Interesting. I think that anyone who's heard so far obviously knows that you guys as Umada are definitely doing a lot of cool stuff. So right before we end, um, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about Umada or the services that you guys offer, anything like that, what's the best way for them to find you, get in touch with you? They can have a look at our website, www.umada.com. We'll have it in the show notes as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Uh, for me as an architect, it was quite enlightening. Honestly, I didn't really know that there was so much going on in maybe I knew a bit about facades, but definitely didn't know about acoustics at all. So I thank you for enlightening all of us uh, on these two industry sectors. It means a lot to us and our listeners. And we definitely hope to have you on sometime in the future, for sure. Maybe have a nice roundtable going with other architects as well, so you can teach us a bit more. And on that note, thank you so much. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you so much, Alan. It's, it's been a pleasure. Alan, thank you very much for having us here. Thank you so much. And we will catch you guys next week. Fellow A-formers, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being part of our journey and thank you for the immense support we've been receiving for our episodes. It has and continues to be a very bumpy road, but we wouldn't want it any other way. If you enjoyed this episode and it bought you value, 
please share this episode with anyone who may benefit from it. But of course, if you loved the episode, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, send us a little DM, and we may just send you a secret link to a secret episode which we've been working on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See you next time. Keep sketching.